This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Here we are again, Atara. Lovely to see you and talk to you and continue our discussion. Wow, we had a good one so far. Well, we, we, we keep on meeting at odd times in our lives, haven't we, Claire? And odd places, odd times, odd opportunities. You were telling me that you have a, a great connection with where I live in Hove on the south coast. Oh, very much so. As kids, we always used to go there on holidays from the age of five until the age of 25. And my father had a house in Worthing and my brother had a flat in, in Hove. Oh, I've always loved Hove. In fact, after, I did one of these things you do on the internet when you says, where's the ideal place for you to live? hundred questions. And would you believe it? It came up with Brighton. <laughs> it could have been Lisbon or Bordeaux, but it was Brighton. It's got the food I want. I love swimming. Well, I did. I can't get up that ramp at Brighton anymore but I always swam. I like swimming in the sea. I think the food's fabulous. The air's fabulous. It's a fabulous place. It's a, it's a very diverse place now. It's, a, it's oh. got a great energy. I live about 22 kilometers from a town, well, from a village, and yeah. five kilometers from bread. <laughs> so it's quite a long way. But I, I used to do it on a bicycle, but not anymore. Our last chat, we talked about your early years, your study, uh, the orchestral, getting into the orchestral uh, world being one of the first female principal flutes. And then you said after about 12 years, you left. And I remember the time because you started this amazing group called Atara's Band. Well, I really have to say how it happened. And this might sound a bit embarrassing, but this is actually how it happened. When we were in the orchestra, the children's concerts were appalling. And I was always complaining and everybody said, do something about it. Don't keep on complaining. But I didn't do it because people used to throw paper darts and every child in Liverpool went to a school's concert. But then I had a group of very nice friends, about six of us, and they said, look, one of them said, look, I work in a handicapped school. Let's go and do a concert for children. And I said, we got an oboe, a trumpet, I uh, can't remember what else. I said, OK, let's go. So six of us went with a little, all we'd done was to prepare a little song, each of us, a nursery rhyme and nothing else. Like most kids' concerts in those days, they were bad. We got there and we, we all stood there because we didn't have music. We were going to improvise. And suddenly 200 children came who had been born with thalidomide. Right? Oh. Uh, I know. And they came in wheelchairs with these massive faces and no hands. And I just got and I'm told it's a, I actually got a religious calling. I'm not religious, you know, but uh, it was a religious calling. My whole body started shaking. I got bathed in a sweat. I took the concert over. I made it into a concert, told them what to do, knew how to do it, knew how to communicate with the children. And when we finished, I said to the other six players, well, that's it. I found what I'm going to do. So we went back to Liverpool. We had a rehearsal an hour later. I went immediately up to the box office, to the manager, said, I want to book the hall. I want to do a children's concert. I want to do a children's concert as it should be done. The manager said, that'll cost you £754. Oh, oh shit. Excuse my language. I said, OK, um, I'll raise it. So I decided that I got 22 of my, one of every instrument, OK, and so there were several composers in the midst. And I said, look, we're going to do a kids' concert. I'll give you five pounds each. 
That's quite a lot of money in those days. And I want you to, one of them, I said, I want you to write me a Baroque suite. I want you to arrange something else. I got them, three of the composers to arrange things. And I then got Fritz Spiegel, who was a job I had taken, uh, to, to do me some leaflets for children's concerts. And after every concert with the orchestra, I stood outside with my friends and gave all the parents little leaflets, which is very sweet. And I got about 800 people to the first concert, which is extraordinary because I'd never done one. And I got my present husband to that concert. And I knew immediately, I could hear it in my head. I could see it all. I wanted 30 minutes music. And they'd all written these 10 different pieces. I said, sorry, I'm having three minutes of your piece. Oh, my God, the dramas. At any rate, I managed to get a program down to three minutes. We had one rehearsal. I had a guitarist in the middle uh, because I, my husband knew him from the pop scene. And we did this concert for kids. And my new husband came along and said to me, what was your aim, my dear? I said, what a prig. Of course, married him a few months later. And uh, he said, OK, you want to do kids concerts? Oh, man. He was from the BBC. So he was, came to look, because I was very arrogant. I said, look, I'll do a television series. I just could, I, I knew I had to do it. I'd watched the children's concerts for years in the orchestra. I'd always been subconsciously working it out. So uh, he said immediately, he said, if you want to do kids' concerts, I'll help you while I'm still at the BBC. Let's work together, okay? I want to write one day, but if you want to do this for 10 years, I'll look after you as long as you look after me later. Because he was a BBC Northern producer. So we sat down, he said, look, you can't make 22 musicians work. If you get six musicians, one woodwind, one brass, a percussion section and, and, a, and a keyboard, we said at that stage, you can make it work economically. And then, it, then you, can, and you can do the arrangements. I thought, well, I can try. So luckily the guitarist and the bass guitarist are both arrangers. So the guitarist and the arrangers immediately arranged things like William Tell, like some Mozart. And I immediately knew exactly how I wanted to present a concert. And very quickly, we got the six musicians together and we got little gigs because I'm a bit of a bully. I got gigs in Widnes and Runcorn, little local gigs, which went all right. And you got a few hundred kids because I'd always been doing chamber music around the area with a oboe and a harpsichord. So I knew all the gigs that were possible. Yeah. And we did about six months of this and then, but it wasn't enough money. I mean, I, I, I could only cover, I couldn't really cover the six musicians. So I thought it's got to go somewhere else. And then I thought by coincidence, uh, Sir Ian Hunter phoned from, <clears throat> I think it was the, oh my God, the Brighton Festival, would you believe it? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. He phoned, he ran the Brighton Festival in those days. Yeah. And he said, look, Katara, I know you do masterclasses. I've heard you're doing kids concerts. Why don't you come and do uh, a day of masterclasses and a children's concert for me? And I thought, oh, yeah. Now, at that time, I was getting 300 pounds for a gig. Right. And he said, how much do you want? And I my husband was there and I said, three thousand pounds. What? And he said, does that include expenses? I said, good God, no. <laughs> and I knew I knew at that point that I could do kids concerts because if I were to replace a symphony orchestra, and they would pay me a quarter of what they play a symphony orchestra. I could make it work economically because you had to hire a van. And I was very honest. I paid the composers. I paid the musicians a lot of money. And I worked out with my husband, which is the whole trick, uh, how I could make it all work. Yeah. And we called it Atara's band. And uh, in the end, we got rid of the keyboard very quickly because you had to carry a keyboard around. Yeah. So I had electric guitar, bass guitar and a drum kit as the basis, a flute and an oboe, and a trumpet and a trombone. Flute and, flute and oboe could do Baroque, 
classical yeah. guitar could do that, rock trios. Uh, you could do jazz with the trumpet and the trombone. And you could do early basic mini trumpets, whatever you call them, you know, C trumpets. And you could do rock music. And I had two arrangers, which I paid, and we produced very quickly the kind of concert that could work. But it took incredible energy on my part because we played for 30 minutes and 30 minutes was me talking. But I knew that the kids would love it. But it was very, very structured, very organized. My husband, as a television producer, was a swine. <laughs> you know, the musicians had to dress up as robots, as pink panthers, as clowns. It was a show, but they had to be good players. Yeah. And that's how Atara's band was formed. And we did uh, 2,000 concerts, about, to over 2 million kids because we gave every child a sticker badge and we know because we bought them all. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, that was 12 years on the road, 200 gigs a year, plus still teaching and playing the flute. I did flute, alto and piccolo always. And I'd introduce and sit down and play the piccolo and play the alto. And it was fabulous for my energy. And they were just thrilling years. And amazing number of people uh, have really started because of these concerts. It's really yeah. extraordinary. Oh. I'm amazed I was working with Stephen Clark recently. He came to a concert and Carla, I mean, the people I see or work with all the time, they came to a concert. Nikki yesterday, it, it was amazing. And that was 12 years of that until one day, my, until one day at Sheffield City Hall, my husband was so tired, he drove down the steps of City Hall with four children in the van. Yeah, we didn't have an accident, but uh, some one of the musicians arrived and said, typical Douglas, parking where we can't get in. And we had a few little accidents on the way home, so we decided to stop and move. We built the house in France, and I didn't want to stop kids' concerts because we just got where I wanted to. We did television and radio and yeah. everything you'd ever do, made some records, did some record of our own, recorded in Strawberry Studios where the Beatles recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Got swindled, made a lost a fortune, but that doesn't matter. And so life moves on. I did 12 years of that and it was thrilling for me, but he was very, very tired. And yeah. we used our four kids as roadies and sound and lighting. And, but it was pre-computers, pre, uh, pre, uh, so a lot of the work had to be done by hand and everything. Yes. So it was very hard going, really. But they were great years. So that was 12 whole years. And then we stopped doing them so that my husband could write books. Yeah. Which did... It seemed his turn to get on with his life and enjoy it. Did you, did you miss the orchestra when you started the band? No, not at all. Like a new phase of life. No, and it wasn't just that. It just there was such good arrangers that it was quite a buzz playing Tchaikovsky or... I mean, he did, we did amazing arrangers. I mean, William Bell with six players was phenomenal. It became <laughs> a chamber music ensemble. But orchestral music, let's say if you did the, the let's say, the sabre dance... It was amazing with six players, but you had to have amazing guitar players. And a bit of amplification, says my husband. <laughs> a lot of amplification. Yes, thank you, Douglas. Yes, we had a lot of amplification, and that was very important part. We didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot, no. No, we had a little... What did we have, Doug? We had just a Marshall amp, and that was about it. And my microphone, a Shaw microphone, but, but electric guitar, bass guitar, wah-wah pedals, all the usual gimmicks. And we used the hall microphones and everything. So, I mean, then we did some amazing gigs looking back on it. Gosh, we did. And so we used to do the proms for the Halle and the Phil and all that sort of thing. So we've talked, talked about the bands. Now, I wanted to sort of talk a little bit more generally about things like 
did you get nervous in the orchestra and in the band? Did you, or does your sort of this incredible enthusiasm and uh, energy, does that carry you through? Did you ever get nervous? Good question. I got nervous in the orchestra because I had a horrible second flute and I'd be picking up my flute to play Lapre Midi and she'd suddenly say, God, I hate the way you play it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I lived 12 years of that. I really did. And that got me nervous. <laughs> but in my own, because I mean, she would have liked to be first. I mean, Pat was nice. Pat Morris was my pick player. She was nice. But the second flute player was, that made me nervous. I was not, I was, I wasn't nervous. It's too much at stake. And the, no, never nervous with the band, just because uh, you had to get the adrenaline. You can't face 2,000 kids unless you've got a huge amount of adrenaline, because I'd run on the stage and they'd all laugh. Well, if I was nervous, I couldn't cope with that, because they thought it was, they were expecting trumpet goes, dun, da, 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 along comes this stupid woman who just runs in. So they all laugh, you see. So no, I, I don't suffer from nerves. I get more nervous than the last 10 years when I play, because it's not the same. But I think if you're on form and you know what you're doing, the responsibility yep. in the orchestra is so great with the other players. You can't afford the nerves. Mm. You've got another, you know, you've got all the woodwind sections. If you're solo flute, you've got the rest of the orchestra depending on you. So I, I, I haven't suffered from nerves. No, it's, it's not in my, didn't used to be in my vocabulary. Chamber music, perhaps. But I'm, that's why I know I'm not a concerto player, because I would be nervous doing a concerto, I think. I don't know. That's the way we are, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Depends on what I I never forget playing the Matthias Scheiber pastoral and burlesque. Do you know that? I don't, no. Oh, that's a wonderful piece. I mean, I was nervous there because a bit I can't play in it. There's always a few bars somewhere that you can't play. Like in the famous, I don't know if you remember about the famous Birmingham Woodwind competition that Malcolm Arnold wrote pieces. There's two bars in that Fantasia I still can't play. And I remember, and again, talking to the Geneva competition, they, they gave up some, I can't remember what they, you had to play something, didn't you? They set. And I, if there's a few bars that you know you can't ever get, there's a, a Richard Rodney Bennett, actually. Do you know the unaccompanied sonatina? In the last yes, movie, there's a, about two or three bars that are really, that makes you tense. No matter how you practice them, they don't lie under the fingers. Yeah. Also, I think I made one big mistake, since this is a flute thing, I can talk about it, yeah. is that because I learned from Gareth and the wooden flute, I nearly always used the thumb B flat. Now, I never use, in France, if you use your thumb B flat, you, you, you fail. You're not allowed to use a thumb B flat ever. Okay. Because? And it, because it's France. <laughs> you, you ought to know, you know enough about it. You, you, you just don't use a thumb B flat. So my long A sharp is not autom as automatic as it should be. And I think that's one, I think that told, st stood me, that's the only technical problems I ever had. I didn't push enough the A sharp fingering in my life really. Because there are quite a few orchestral passages that are much better with the A sharp finger. And even now, if I read through a study, I, I'm the only sight reading problems. The only problems is this B flat A sharp. I don't know about you. Do you use thumb key or never? I, really? No, my, I, I, I didn't really even know the thumb key existed, really. No, that's that. correct. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a lot of people feel that. And there are certain pieces when it's stupid, when you really do need the B flat key. Do you use it now? Do you teach them? Uh, yeah, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just in the early days. Yeah, people didn't, did they? And perhaps it's right. So I think that's one of my failings, looking back on my flute playing days. Hmm. If you ask nervous, I might be nervous. Isn't it uh, 
Princess and the Pagoda, isn't that an A-sharp fingering or something in it? On the piccolo solo, I seem to remember. Oh, well, there we are. I see that's my orchestral brain. Uh, I think it's when it got an A-sharp fingering that I could, that would still floor me a bit, I think, really, which yeah. is a pity. So I, I do teach it more than I used to. But otherwise, yeah. I get very nervous when I accompany my kids for exams, grade six or seven, and I'm accompanying. Oh, oh that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get nervous on the flute, no. That's a good question, though. Do you? Um, yes, I think it's difficult to know whether it's called nerves or anticipation. Nervous anticipation. I think yes. it's good to have some nervous anticipation because it means you care. Yeah, uh, that's, I think, okay. that puts it well. Yeah, I yeah. think you feel nothing and then, I mean, you must have some excitement. To go and perform is so exciting. There must be something within you that, that yeah. allows you to communicate. So yeah, yeah. nervous anticipation. Nervous anticipation. Do you know, there's only really, I know it sounds a silly thing to say, but I, I, I mean, I must seem very egoistic listening to me now on this, but I'm not actually. I, when I did kids concerts, I, I, I'm completely unaware of myself. Mm. It's as though I don't exist, as though I'm trying to be a vehicle between me and the children. Yeah. But I, I have no personal consciousness. Yeah. You know, you come on and you get a clapping. It's not like performing a concerto at all. Mm. When you're performing a concerto, you come on, you get a bow. It's all part of the game. When I come on a stage for a children's concert, in no way is it me. That moment of what you could call ego and you get the clapping is trying to gauge exactly what the audience is like. Because you can, if you're doing something like a kid's concert, you know in the first second. And I can only remember once in my entire career feeling, oh, this is what it's like to be a star. When uh, it was a, a strange thing, it was, at, I can still remember it, it was at the Halle and I was very popular in the North and I came back and I got a real cheer and I thought, oh, this is nice. <laughs> but I don't normally. It's, I, I, I then went on, I did a few years after the children's Tara's band and took a break for my husband to write his books, which was yeah. horrid. I hated it. We lived here in France, did our house up and he wrote his first books. He wrote five novels to start with. And then a woman called Louise Naftalan one day phoned me up and said, look, I used to come to your Tara's band in Scotland at the Usher Hall. Why aren't you doing them anymore? Because my kids' lives were changed by them. I said, well, I'm just not doing them anymore. She said, look, why don't you come to Scotland? I said, oh, well, I'm looking after my husband. She said, come on. She said, look, I'll get your plane ticket tomorrow and a nice hotel. Come and have a chat. I thought, oh, okay, quite a nice rich woman, very nice woman. Uh, Louise Nathan, and a very special person. So I said, oh, okay, why not? Doug said, go on, it's your turn. So I, so I got on a plane the next day to Edinburgh, stayed in a nice hotel, and she said, well, you want to do kids' concerts? What do you want to do? And I, she said, let's go and look at the tramway. We looked at some small venues. I said, look, Louise, I will come back to do kids' concerts if you can give me a full symphony orchestra and a big concert hall, because that's something else I'd like to really do, good kids' orchestral concerts. She thought about it. They said, okay, let's go and look at the uh, Glasgow Con Royal Concert Hall and the Usher Hall. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so six months later, we started orchestral concerts called Children's Classic Concerts mm -hmm. with the Scottish National, with the Scottish Opera. We did them in London with the uh, English National, they were called then. Yes. Um, and we did, uh, and I evolved, which I was quite proud of, really. And I always think if I was a man, you listen to this fella, somebody would have asked me to do them in London because I had 62 different programs. That's a lot. Wow, that is I a created, 
I've still got all the details. I created 62 and did 62 different orchestral programs, whether it was Russian music or whether it was French or whether it was uh, shake, rattle and roll <coughs> or whether, but I certainly evolved all of these programs. Uh, 32 minutes of music interplay mm. with the orchestra, two, min two items, very, uh, very formulaic again. Because if you want to work with a symphony orchestra in those days, to fit it under a budget that you can, because I don't believe in subsidy, which is very unusual. So mm. if you want to work in it commercially, you have to be able to do the whole of the show in one session, three hours, which includes the rehearsal, the break, mm -hmm. and the show itself, as you know. Yep. So we started from scratch, right? I had to do 32 minutes music with all the cuts. So believe me, if you're going to do 12 minutes, a minimum of 12 pieces, plus some demonstrations. So it had to be worked out with the librarian beforehand, okay? Exactly what I was gonna do. The rehearsal worked out exactly with the conductor. And if I overran two minutes, it would cost 2000 quid. <laughs> so uh, these were very nerve wracking concerts, but, in, but basically I did actually, went, got, I got up to 34 minutes. So I had to, it was, I love doing this, my yellow Erlenberg scores and Bizet Farandol, for example, you could do it with a thousand kids on, on a D. You can do the, giving an accompaniment, you can do the bolero with the kids playing on a C. There's a surprising number of pieces, if you research, that you can get kids in the audience joining in on a, on a note. So I make a formula in that you listen to three pieces, then you have some entertainment, then you have a joining, then you have a quiz, then every child always had a quiz as part of the programme, and uh, which is your favourite instrument. Somebody comes up and has a go conducting. Uh, and it was a 32 minute, but it, by the time I talked and got the kids clapping, it meant can can you can do on one note. So I did about 10 years of those with Louise and I loved every second, but there's a point at which you, you can't make them work economically. You know, they're very expensive, but all these subsidized halls that used to cost say 4,000 now will cost you 10,000. I mean, I'm not mercenary, but if you want to pay musicians honestly and you want to give work to musicians, you have to be able to do it in a budget unless you are good at subsidy. And I'm too arrogant to be any good at subsidy, mm. really. I think if I did it now, I would get subsidy easily. I think you could at this moment in history. But the Arts Council used to say, oh, you're educational. And the educational establishment used to say, oh, you're entertainment. She got some funding in Scotland because Scotland is very proud of being Scotland. And so she managed Louise, but it's nothing to do with me. She got some funding at the beginning, which was good. So that made them possible because an orchestra is expensive, as we know, isn't it? Yeah. And we had, uh, but they, they were, I loved it really. Great days. Yes. I enjoyed working with an orchestra. I really loved it. I wouldn't have liked to do more, but it just didn't seem to happen. And I've always wondered why people didn't ask me in London to do some of the big concerts, really. I mean, I'd, if you've done 62, you know what'll work, but they never did. So I'm not a hustler though. I, I like, I'm too arrogant. I like doing my own things, Claire. Don't you? You do too, don't you? Am I right? Yes, I like doing my own things. Now listen, after then the, these uh, children's concerts, you've really thrown yourself into doing courses and doing a lot more sort of tuition um, based in France, haven't you? Well, I have, because that's an inevitable part of one's life, as you know, Claire, is, is that there comes a point in which uh, I don't really want to go and entertain 2,000 people, but you don't want to give it up. But it's the same oh. with all of us. If you've got, I mean, I've got so much experience. It's such a pity not to pass it on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could teach, I mean, I mean, I can teach the Matthew, but the thing I can teach that most people can't actually is something like Marla, that's lead von der Erde, the flute solo. 
Yep. Because actually, you need to be Jewish to understand that flute solo. People play it like a French wallow, but it's not. There's certain things that I've done with great conductors, and I think I can pass on, really. Not enough people believe me, I'm sure. <laughs> if I was a man, they might, but they don't. But in fact, it seems, and you know, the same, it's a pity not to pass on, really. And I do courses because I designed the house for it, and it keeps me sane, really. But... Uh, Maybe, maybe a new project then would be to uh, do an orchestral book with, with all the explanation of how you put oh, these wonderful pieces. I don't think people, there's enough around. People aren't interested, really. I'm just doing, I'm enjoying working out English repertoire. I think one of the things I'd like to do and I've tried is to run a competition for English flute music because nobody does it. But I've, I've mentioned it 20 times over the years to various people. It's never come off. And I did count, not this last BFS, the one before, out of 86 people, I think four, 50 did pieces from that flute book, the, the, the cheap flute book, you know the one I mean, with the taffnel with all those pieces yes. in it. Yes, yes, yes. Piece, I mean, it's an amazing value, that book, but it really has coloured flute playing because mm. would we have heard of Tafnell of Ui oh, he's not in it would we at all have heard of all these people without that book I don't think we would do you no maybe not no I mean it's amazing so it means people know these works and even Gobert I don't think we'd have all heard as much mm. but then there's a huge amount of British music no one wants to play no, but, but there's some wonderful as you were saying earlier there's some wonderful British music that needs to get out there I remember doing for a couple of seasons, all I did was an English programme and it was, you know, it was fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's whether it's the Barclay or the Bowen or the Conjol, the Shibers. I mean, there's a, even if you do the Serious Doll, which nobody ever does, I mean, there's a huge range of, of mar, even modern stuff. I mean, people seem to have stopped playing some of the Mike Moa stuff. It's very exciting for an audience. There's a lot of stuff out there that we're all forgetting about because yeah. we're more and more French, really. And yeah. people keep on playing, uh, what was it, the last, I don't know, some of the unaccompanied. I like the Cockapelli at the moment. That My latest phase yeah. is Catherine Huberson. I like her stuff, actually, at the moment. But that's not British, but I did hear her play. I like, I like unaccompanied stuff. I, I don't know. Who knows what's in Listen, at my age, you're just very happy to be here, to do a chat, to do, have contact, meet human beings. And it's nice to see you, Claire. It's many years since we met. And uh, I think it's nice to keep contact. Any flute players are listening. There's always something else about the flute. You know, you think you've finished thinking about it, playing it, but there's something else always around the corner. It's never ending if you really care about the flute. Don't you agree, Claire? I, I agree. And I'd love to sort of point our listeners to try and listen to some recordings of you. How, how could they do that? Where would they find you? Well, the only thing really in the orchestra, I told you, is if you go to EMI Liverpool Phil, there's me doing the serious doll and the foray. And I mean, there's there's quite, if you look carefully, there's quite a little bits all around the place of some of the, some of the, I did a whole series of television series called The Flute Stories. And there's quite a few, they're knocking around. I did, uh, what, 35 different flute stories. <laughs> done a I mean, I've done I've done everything really, actually, but uh, most of it's ephemera. You know, when you do a television series in those days, now you'd record it, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. But I did rubber dub dub. That was amazing. Every every <laughs> Sunday morning for years, you know, you've done it all. I did a Radio Three series. I did a lot. I did when um, when David Munro died. I did a whole series of broadcasts for Radio Three. But uh, you have to prepare, as you know, Claire. You have to prepare. You can't broadcast without preparations. 
So I've, I've done it all, Claire, and I've loved it all. You've, you've had the most amazing career, and it's still going. And as a result <laughs> of that, you were awarded an MBE. And just recently, you've had a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Music and Drama Education Awards. Yes, and that was the ISM as well. The ISM, yeah, which, yeah. which is fantastic, you know. For a flute player, a female flute player. <laughs> it's fantastic for a female flute player, but you you really deserve it. You've been an incredible ambassador for flute over the years. You're such a good communicator. You've got such energy, and it's really lovely to hear. So please don't stop. Uh, it's, been, <laughs> I it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you for giving up your time. We'd love to talk to you again. But for now, enjoy your lovely house in France. Have a wonderful summer. Catch up again with you soon. Thank you, Atara. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. That was the wonderful Atara Benthoven. I've so enjoyed talking to her and felt I could have chatted for hours. What fabulous stories she has to tell. Don't forget that you can contact us on our designated Facebook page, Talking Flutes, or through Twitter and Instagram, at Claire Flute and at Flute. We'd love to hear your thoughts and comments and any ideas you might have for future podcasts. So that's it for today. Bye for now. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.